This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. Silence, as you know, has always been a gateway. Gateway into ordinary mind. The, um, the theme for this retreat is uh, embodying awakening. In our uh, ordinary mind Zen practice, um, as uh, my teacher Barry was talking about recently to our groups in Bellingen and Sautel, we can simplify it to two basic practices. First one is simply just sitting. And that doesn't mean just sitting in formal zazen. But just sitting means just sitting every moment of our lives. When I first started practicing Buddhist meditation, um, and I think it was quite common in the West when we, we import, import, imported Buddhism. In fact, it wasn't even known as Buddhism until the West named it as Buddhism. To associate meditation with the formal sitting practice. So we, we came to identify meditation with sitting with a straight back, legs crossed, it's a beautiful posture. Posture is very important. Um, but we probably made the mistake a little bit of overemphasizing that. And so sometimes leading to a, a tendency to compartmentalize our practice to sitting in the morning for half an hour or an hour and then going about the rest of our day in, a, in our usual uh, way. And um, so I want to emphasize in this, from now on in this retreat, and that just sitting or resting in presence, if you want to remember it, is RIP, rest in peace, or rest in presence. Uh, literally, when we rest in peace or rest in presence, we die to the ego, in a way. So that, that if the first wing of our practice is this resting 
in awareness, resting in presence, just sitting. It's a, in the Zen tradition, it's, it's, it's known as no gain. In, in other words, it's a, a, a practice which is designed to frustrate or undermine or deconstruct or our usual goal-directed lifestyle. Our default position of continuously seeking When we are resting, we're just resting in this moment and we leave everything alone, which is radically subversive of our normal condition in the West, how we've been conditioned, our cultural condition. This form of meditation, if we want to call it meditation, is perhaps one of the simplest forms of meditation, but one of the most difficult. So that's, that's, that's one wing of our practice. The other wing is, um, well, I call, I call it, uh, along with uh, many traditions, I call it in, inquiry or inquiry. The Americans pronounce it inquiry. I think in, in English people pronounce it inquiry. I don't know. How do Australians pronounce it? <laughs> inquiry or inquiry? Inquiry. Inquiry. To inquire into. <coughs> so the uh, the inquiry wing of the practice. Um, I mean that also has a long, a long tradition in Zen Buddhism and other other Buddhisms and other other traditions. Um, you know, you've heard me talk about koans in the, in previously. One could understand koans as a form of inquiry practice. And uh, inquiry is about asking questions. It could be very basic, uh, abstract, fundamental questions such as who am I? Or we could, we could um, see them as more uh, questions which arise out of our suffering that we experience in our daily life. For my teacher Barry, who's um, a psychoanalyst, um, I mean one of the benefits, one of the interesting things about psychoanalysis is that uh, from, Bar from Barry's viewpoint is it's a um, it's a therapy that is very much not, not necessarily goal-directed. Um, um, so it kind of fits with the Zen practice uh, of um, exploring this moment in a way. So um, you could see in Barry's books he, he argues that traditional Zen practice is not enough. We need to complement it with a psychotherapeutic practice, and for him that's psychoanalysis. And um, 
But I think there's a, there's a, there, is a, there is a tradition of inquiry that we can pick up on, that we can, uh, that can be seen as being working in tandem with, with just sitting. So the way in which we use an inquiry practice to complement our just sitting practice. We need both of them. The, the ability to, to be aware, to be present is necessary and to, to ask questions, to explore. The, re- the reason why psychotherapy or inquiry is important to complement the just sitting practice is because, as we've talked about a lot, that in the, uh, our experience in, in, in Western, with the uh, incorporation of Eastern traditions into the West, whether it be Buddhism or other traditions, that um, even uh, teachers who have had, you know, amazing enlightenment experiences uh, uh, or, or awakening experiences, can sometimes act out in ways which are very concerning, um, often in abusive ways, like whether it's emotional abuse, sexual abuse, or power abuse in some way. So the, the traditional Zen practice is not enough in, in the sense that um, um, awakening alone sometimes can still miss stuff. And so, from our contemporary understanding, we talk a lot about trauma. So we talk a lot about how, like in uh, Basil van der Kolk's book, How the Body Remembers. And uh, sometimes these pockets of trauma um, that are compartmentalized uh, I don't necessarily get released or healed through uh, a traditional Zen practice. And uh, so inquiries is something which can be um, help us to uh, try and uncover some of those places which may be unconscious. So the two work together, uh, and um, but we, we want to make, we want to shine the light or bring our conscious, become as conscious as we can to our blind spots or our, uh, the ways in which we may get triggered. And, um, and this was always part of Joko Beck's um, teaching. That's why the Ordinary Mind Zen School uh, is, is focused on this a lot. Um, she might use different words, but she was basically saying the same thing. That, um, you know, she would often, you know, uh, someone might come and see her and report this wonderful oneness experience uh, where they were full of love for a number of days and peace and bliss and, and uh, and then she sort of say, okay, but you know, how are you getting on with your mother? Or how are you getting on with your partner? And 
So these, these wonderful, blissful experiences um, could happen, but like a few weeks later, one could be um, putting one's partner down or um, acting in a, in a sort of inappropriate way. So again, it, it comes back down to the, the initial, not just in contemporary times, but even in the ancient times, um, there's lots of koans where, um, you know, the Zen, the, the Zen monk would come up to the Zen master and try and figure out how he had to, how, it was usually he in those days, how, do, how he could get something. Um, so that, that, that sense of trying to get something or achieve something has always really been part of this paradoxical practice. And in the West, it took the form of wanting to get these special experiences with the belief that it would somehow transform our lives forever. And unfortunately, we've learned the hard way and, and we've learned that it doesn't do that. So in, in this retreat, we um, just in, in, introduce inquiry again into our practice. And I can, I can maybe do some of that with you, but also inquiry uh, like sitting is something that can be done as a self-practice as well. It's uh, using inquiry to inquire into, question your own experience. You don't necessarily have to do I mean, it helps sometimes to do that with someone else, whether it's a teacher or a therapist or someone else, but it's something you can actually take on as, a, as an extension of your practice. Um, one can actually do it just, you know, just, um, just holding a question and being curious about it, or you can actually maybe use writing to explore it. Um, So, while awakening and embodiment healing. Um, so, we, we're all here, usually we all come to this practice because of some experience of suffering. And uh, there are lots of different definitions of suffering and, and, and so on. But... Um, a good way of, 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 of understanding suffering is to ask yourself the question, well, if I'm, if I'm waking up or if I'm awakening, what is it I'm waking up from? And that's a, that's a nice question. Um, what am I waking up from? And one of the ways to understand, there's probably different ways you could answer that question, but one of the ways I understand it is that we're waking up from what our practice principles call the self-centered dream, which is the dream of the separate self. Uh, which is a necessary dream. We, 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 we have to develop a sense of a separate self as, as children, and we have to enter into that dualistic world and the dualistic language. And we, we have to learn how to navigate ourselves in a dualistic world. Um, but often our, our self-centered dream, bec um, 
often comes into existence because of various um, suffering experiences we have as children and uh, whether it be take the form of fear or shame two big ones and um, and then we we learn different ways to protect ourselves and um, so we end up unconsciously identifying often with a core belief and, a, and it's often around a core belief of deficiency of some kind some kind of deficient self whether it's I'm unlovable or I'm not good enough or there's something wrong with me um, all of these kinds of uh, core beliefs which form the, the, the basis of these deficiency stories that we can and um, but not only does it uh, that suffering get become a kind of belief, but it also becomes the the belief in a in a in a in a, in a, in a, get in a way or the thought in a way gets almost uh, remembered in the body as well. So it becomes a, a kind of um, uh, uh, to, to sometimes to get at these b- beliefs is a somatic process as well. Uh, sometimes there might not necessarily be a clear movie image of a memory, but uh, it could just be a certain feeling in the body which is stuck with a certain belief, which we can feels like that I'm unlovable kind of thing in the body. So the two get welded together. And that's one form suffering takes, but the other basic form of suffering, which is really universal, is just basically the being at war with this moment. So there's a sense in which um, we're often running away from this moment all the time. The obvious examples are when it is a, if it is painful, or, or, or if it's emotionally painful and uncomfortable, we run away from it, but um, um, but also, but it's also it's almost like it's an inbuilt conditioning to be always chasing something. It's almost like this is never good enough. This this can't be it, and uh, so that's often referred to as resistance, so it's the resistance. Um, and so we want to push something away, or we want to try to grab onto something else, so we're just constantly searching, and that, and that, that kind of searching and seeking, and always, that's, in a sense, that's the activity of suffering as well. Um, because there's, there's no sense of peace in that, there's no sense of completeness in that. So there's always that sense of incompleteness, of missing, of lacking. So these are the kind of you know, ways in which people talk about this fundamental, basic flaw, this fundamental thing we all have, that, that's core of our self, that we see an incomplete and we try and complete ourselves in different ways.
And that's kind of a never-ending sort of story. So that's, if you like, what we're waking up from. We want to wake up from that. As some people say, we want to end the search. When we end the search, we end suffering in a way. So what is awakening and enlightenment? What, uh, so, um, uh, again, a question you could ask yourself as well. Okay, I'm waking up from the, the self-centered dream, but what am I waking up to? And that, that, that can be just a question you can hold and ask as well. What am I waking up to? In some ways, we could say we're just waking up to another dream. Um, that's one way of looking at it. Um, you know, you could look at it as if we're waking up from a self-centered dream to the, the dream of the universe, like the sense in which everything is still just this impermanent flow, nothing's fixed, just a bubble, a bolt of lightning. Um, it's still all very dreamlike in a sense. Um, and maybe, you know, we, we can wake up to that and, and sort of, um, um, in, in a sense, that could be a release from being the constriction of a painful self-centered dream. And uh, maybe we can, we can experience some joy in, or freedom in that sense of uh, there is nothing fixed. Everything is just a flow. That's one way of looking at it. Um, but I, 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 try and, I try and keep things a little bit simple for myself and I, I seem to I go along with this idea of just, we're waking up to this moment, this now. I just, I just call it presence or awareness. And, and, it, and, and it's not something which is um, separate from my conditioned body or my conditioned self. But it's always here. And sometimes, uh, I've talked about it before in the, in, the, in the, you can see it as wisdom in the sense of it's, uh, it's, it's um, in, in Buddhist texts they, they call it prajna, wisdom. The sense of um, when we just drop into awareness and we just abide there, that's ordinary mind in, in Zen. Um, you know, the sense in which you can get that sense of being prior to thought. It's not separate to thought. Thought is inseparable from it, but it's a, it's a mysterious thing. It's, it's just this awareness that we drop into which you can't see or feel or touch. It's just the, the timeless present, which, which, which some people, you know, you can use metaphors like light, um, luminosity, that which knows. Um, um, so every, everything is, is the sense in which everything's appearing and disappearing, coming and going, our sensations, our perceptions, our thoughts, our memories. 
but the sense in which it's coming and going in this. You could use metaphors like uh, a mirror, like everything's appearing in the mirror, uh, or a screen, but, you know, the, the movies appearing on the screen, the screen being awareness or the mirror being awareness. And uh, we get caught in the movie, but we, we, we neglect or look, look over the fact that we're also the screen. And uh, so in that sense, as awareness, there's no inside or outside. Everything is inseparable. That's the non-separateness. And um, so, you know, just simple questions you can ask yourself, like, you know, who is hearing? Who is thinking? Who is perceiving? Who is, who is, you know, who is tasting? Um, that question points you back to awareness. But you can't, awareness is not an object, you can't, you can't, you can't grab it, you can't see it. Um, we can, we be it. We are being awareness. And in that being, we, we just don't become aware of it. We don't become aware of being awareness. And When we're just sitting in our formal practice, we can rest in awareness, we can rest in presence. But I want to encourage you on this retreat to drop into it as often as you can. Um, every few minutes. Just The hard thing is remembering. Just remembering to stop and drop into awareness. Stop and drop into awareness. And start to see the subtle shift happening. A subtle shift from being identified uh, as a separate self, um, to this lightness of experiencing yourself as awareness, which has no name or form or gender or age or culture or nationality, um, but all those things arise within it. And I also call it home, so it's home base. Yeah, it's come home. Well, we never left home. Um, it's always here, we've never left home. And awareness is open, receptive, receiving, receives everything. It doesn't discriminate. It accepts everything. It accepts it before we're even aware of accepting it. It's already accepted it. But then, of course, our secondary response of rejection can come in. And we become aware of that resistance or rejection that's also appearing in awareness. So what's embodiment then? So awakening, embodiment. Well, we can so we keep dropping into awareness. Um, but it can become a little bit heady sometimes. Um, and uh, we need to embody it. We need to bring it, bring it down into the body into our emotional life, into our feelings. You know, the, um, 
the the Buddha, the I mean, Buddha, uh, uh, that which we are awakening to, you know, ultimate reality or whatever, is always just this moment, and that can be a pain in the knee, or it can be anxiety in the tummy. It's not. Uh, um, every moment is it. It's not some paradise in the sky. The paradise is here with the anxiety in the tummy. Awareness is not the anxiety. The anxiety is appearing in the awareness. One of the reasons why it's really good practice, I think, to try and make this distinction between awareness and the conscience of awareness is to see that the feeling that we are experiencing, or any experience, is appearing in awareness. But awareness itself is not an experience. So in the same way, what people talk about as enlightenment is not an event. So the actual awakening, if it's something that comes as a, as, as a kind of real opening to someone, it might be experienced as waves of bliss and peace. That's the experience, but it's not it. The awakening can be very, very gradual. So you don't even notice. There's no big fireworks, but it's just a gradual um, shift. Um, from being centered in a in a self-centered self to being centered into a, a now of awareness. And then but we still have to bring that down into the body. So awareness itself is the healing agency. The awareness does heal, but it heals just by accepting. Um, the letting go is the being with. So it's it's actually turning the light within, turning the awareness within into the body and using inquiry to help us get to those places that have been cut off or split off or hidden or compartmentalized and having that meet the awareness and in the meeting of the awareness and as the belief, as we start to see through the belief and we start to uncouple the belief from the body sensation, we can, that can be a release. So we can just, once we uncouple the belief from the body sensation, we can just be with the body sensation, and that's it, that's the absolute right there, in that moment. Um, and um, so, in a way, so embodiment has kind of like two meanings. One is like integrating this practice into our everyday lives bringing it into our work and our relationships, like Joko Beck talks about, seeing how we, we react in the moment, uh, and, uh, and getting curious about that, and trying to understand where is that reaction coming from, and using inquiry to explore that, to free ourselves up from those very old, very archaic wounds sometimes. Um, so, um, 
so that's what that's what I mean by by body. So like when we when we're accessing an old uh, memory, a traumatic memory, which is associated with a core belief of some kind, we're bringing it into the present moment. We're sort of like bringing it home, and uh, we're welcoming because we're welcoming awareness welcomes everything, like in the Rumi poem. Uh, we welcome all the guests that are coming, like in the guest house. And uh, we bring them home and they dissolve into the now. So that's kind of like my understanding of the, um, the importance of embodying awakening. So like, not seeing awakening as some mysterious thing in the future that's going to happen, but seeing that it's now, it's happening now, to simply awakening to awareness. And keep coming, keep dropping into that, and then bringing that down and embodying it, so that it, it, it allows us to be with difficult stuff, difficult energies, sensations, that previously we weren't able to be with or look at. And um, so that's what I mean by um, embodying awareness. <coughs>